Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, continuing with our names of God, the one that kept coming up for me all week long was Jehovah Nissi. It's probably not one that I would have picked because Jehovah Nissi is the Lord my banner. And not too long ago, Jacob did a message about unfurl your banner. And a while back with the, uh, the video series we did, they kind of covered that. But it's definitely the Lord kept putting it before me and confirmed it. So that's the one he wants for tonight. So we're going to go through it, read the story of its origins, and see what we can get from it. The literal translation, Jehovah Nissi, is the Lord is my banner. But by implication, it's also the Lord is my victory. Because it's obviously not a defeated banner, it's a victory banner. He wins the war, he wins the fight. So the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my victory. A banner is basically a flag, right? Our country has a flag, that's a banner. When you stand under the flag of the country, all that that implies that you are under the protection, you are part of it, you have allegiance to, that's your banner. Our military has a flag and each division has badges. Those badges are also considered banners. Um, your churches, sports teams, and businesses have logos. Technically, those are banners. All of those things give you the definition of what a banner is. It tells you something about what it represents and it also shows your allegiance to it. So the question we're going to ask ourselves tonight is whose banner are you waving? Heather's wearing one of our shirts. That's technically a banner because it's showing her agreement and allegiance with. Whose banner are you waving? Who are you causing others to put their faith in? Who are you claiming to be in allegiance with? Who is your Nisi? As believers, we don't just stand under the banner of God. We stand under God as our banner. You don't have to go there, but if you want to, you can. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, tells us that his banner over me is love. And then in the book of John, it tells us that God is love. So if God is love and his banner over me is love, then God is my banner. He is Jehovah Nisi. Faith in God's love for you is faith for victory over the enemies that rise up against you. So there's a correlation between believing in him as your victory and in believing in his love for you. His banner over me is love. The passage actually says something to the effect of uh, that I go and meet him at the banquet table. His banner over us is love. So he invites us to come under the protection and provision of his banner. The story where the origin of the name comes from is found in Exodus chapter 17. It's the story where the Amalekites attack the Israelites it's the first time they were attacked after they left Egypt on their journey into the promised land. We're going to read through the story and kind of pick some things out of it. To give you a little bit of a back history, they came out of Egypt. 
they go for a while, they start to run out of water, they start murmuring and complaining and asking Moses, you know, did God bring us out here to kill us? Did you bring us out here to die? We're going to die of thirst. They just saw all these miracles, you know, and we say, how could they start complaining right away? But truth is, is that the average temperature out there is about 103 degrees. So it wouldn't take a long time without water before you'd start complaining too. They should have had faith. They should have prayed. They should have worked together. They should have sought the Lord instead of just trying to find somebody to blame. Most battles that we lose in the faith, it's because we're trying to find somebody else to blame instead of working together to cry out to the God that can fix it. We still have a Jehovah Nisi, and he still brings victory, but there's a certain way that he brings it. There are people that we know that seem to have victory after victory after victory, and then there are those who seem to never get a victory. We're going to see through the story that there were times when they were winning and times where they were losing, and there were certain things that they had to do in order for him to be that victory. God doesn't lose, but he doesn't always choose to fight for you. We're going to see why. So after they complained about the water, God gives them wells, and he brings them forth, and as they're moving out, they get attacked by the Amalekites, by Amalek. So... We're going to start the story, Exodus 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Raphadim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people did chide with Moses, they bickered and argued, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirst there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? I find it interesting that after all that God had done for them, they come to Moses and blame him. Why do you do this? Why do you bring us out here? Why do you give us water? I think the point maybe that God was trying to teach them was to ask him and to stop going to Moses for everything. Yes, they had to go through Moses, but the point is that it's coming from God, not from Moses. Moses is frustrated. He's like, what am I going to do with these people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb and thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Raphadim. Isn't that like the enemy waiting for that expression of doubt? 
where they said, is God with us or not? And then immediately the enemy attacks. He's waiting for that weakness, that moment of doubt. Now, some interesting things about Amalek. Amalek was Esau's grandson. Remember the story of Esau? Esau was supposed to inherit the birthright and be the progenitor of the bloodline, but he sold that birthright for a bowl of soup. He was more concerned about pleasing the flesh in the moment. He didn't take seriously the promises of God. He didn't really believe for it enough to contend for it like his brother did, so the promise went to his brother. So there was always an envy and a hatred in Esau and through the bloodline, his son bore Amalek. Amalek's people immediately attacked the Israelites on their way to promise. They weren't even going through their land. There was really no reason to attack them. They were just mean. They were after them. Esau didn't take God's promises seriously. So those who did and pursued it, an envy rose up in him, and he attacked him for it. He tries to stop it. Through Scripture, if you follow the bloodline of Amalek, Amalek represents Satan's opposition to your movement towards God's promises. But he's not actually opposing you when he does this. He's opposing God's will and his purposes. Amalek always fights against the advancements of God's kingdom. I'm going to get a little bit more into him in a minute, but we'll continue the story going to verse 9. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, right? So the Amalekites attack. Moses tells Joshua, Choose us men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. So Moses is starting to get weary in this fight. So they come and they support him. They put a rock under him. Who is a rock? Except our God. And he sat thereon, so he trusted and rested on the rock. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. So his, his friends, his fellow servants and fellow men came and helped him and held up his hands and strengthened him. The one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steadied until the going down of the sun. And Joshua just comforted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So, looking at this part of the story, I would ask you, God is our banner in victory, right? No matter what, we will win. Wrong. They didn't continuously win. There were times when they were winning and there were times when they were losing. There is a right and a wrong way to fight. We know that because when they did it right, they were winning, and when they did it wrong, they were losing. If God fights for you, you can't lose, but the question is, is God fighting for you? Let's take this passage apart a little bit to see what's the right and the wrong way. First of all, the first thing that I think is important to note here is that some were called to be boots on the ground and some were called to intercession and some were called to uphold God's chosen. 
In other words, there was ministries of helps. There was evangelism. There was intercession. There was different parts all working together. God won the war, but only when each played their proper part in it. Everyone can't be the leader. In actuality, the only way to win is for God to be the leader. So God usually puts a person at the top who knows that and will relay that and keep the people following him and not them or their ambitions or their assumptions. A true chosen leader of God is usually somebody who knows that God's in charge and won't take glory or credit for themselves. They're going to keep turning the people's attention back to God. So really God has to be the one leading. He'll put someone there to steward it who keeps pushing it back in that direction. But they're not actually the one leading it. Moses didn't win the war. God did. But they had to do it as a body, as a community, as a group, and they had to do it trusting God. Having said that, though one submitted person may steward a move of God, no one person can actually do it alone. Many fought that day, and Moses' brothers had to hold him up as he prayed and praised. God brings victories through the body working in unity, each playing its part so that he gets the glory for what he does in the earth. The doers would be like your evangelists and your ministries of help, the boots on the ground, the, the Joshua's out there fighting the good fight. The doers can't win without the intercessor, Moses up on the mountain. And the intercessor will be overrun and get nothing done without the doers. And none of them will accomplish anything without God. So there needs to be a balance. You need men on the mountain and in the valley. Fighting in the valley in your own strength will end in disaster. You need the intercessor, the worshiper, the ones crying out to God to empower the go-getters. Because it's God that wins the war against the Amalekites in your life. I think that's why... God put me and Danny together. That's why we work well together. The intercessor and the go-getter. I'm quite content on the mountain with God. He wants to be in the valley where the action is. But that's how it works. So that no one person can get the glory or the credit. Everyone has to play their proper part. So know your role. Perform it faithfully regardless of what others do. And don't try to superimpose your role on others if they're not winning, it might have more to do with you than with them. I think sometimes it's easy to get upset with other people because they're not doing it right because you want them to do what's actually your role. It's what you know. It's your call. It's what the Lord's telling you, but maybe that's not their part. And if they're not winning, maybe it's because you're not doing your part. Maybe you're not interceding. Maybe you're not praising. Maybe you're not preaching or encouraging. Maybe you're not on the ground doing what needs to be done so that or doing the help so that they can be interceding and doing their part. It's easy to think that somebody's doing it wrong when they don't have the same role that you do. Again, God works through a body so that only he can get the glory. He brings the victory when we learn how to work as a community. I can say that when me and Danny first got married, that was a big lesson that we had to learn because our offices are completely different. And it's very much a, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, until God sat me down and we had did the lesson when we went through the five-fold ministry and we had kind of researched out what each part did in their role. And then I began to see, oh, this is why we're bucking heads. 
because this is his office, this is my office, this is daddy's office, this is their office, and you get frustrated when you think people aren't doing it right, but that's just not their role. Let the body work together. Remember, they had just come out from fighting over water. So God allowed an attack to come that they would have to work together to win. God was their banner in victory, but they had to rightly represent him in order for him to step in and win it for them. God will fight the fight, and God never loses, but he's not going to endorse you if you're doing it wrong, if you're doing it your own way, if you're trying to steal glory, if you're trying to tell people to do things that he's not telling them to do, if you're trying to bring everybody up on the mountain while the war's in the valley, if you're trying to stay down in the valley when you're supposed to be up on the mountain. Get in the prayer closet, seek the Lord, find your role, fulfill your part in it, and support everybody else's part where they are. Work together as a body. I think that more than anything, moves of God are stopped by pride, envy, contention, strifes, division, immaturity, trying to take glory. Continuing verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So if Amalek represents that which comes to prevent you from getting to the promises that God has for you, then this is a name you need to remember and have faith in because God has promised to have war with him from generation to generation. That means he's still warring against the spirit today, even though the tribe is gone. When God makes a promise like that, it's because he's still dealing with the spirit behind that tribe. So whatever the purpose of God is in your life, there will be attacks that rise up against it. There will be a spirit of the Amalekite that comes to stop it. But God has promised to not only fight against it, but to wipe it out, to annihilate it, to have victory. But it's only going to happen when you do it the right way. When you work in unity with the body, when you're not looking out for yourself, but you're looking out for the body. And there's one more thing we're going to look at in this story that I think is very important, probably one of the most important, to why God stopped fighting for them at certain moments. Because though he used men... God was in control of all of it. After the fight was done, Moses could have very easily taken credit for it. When you look at what it looked like to everyone watching, it did look like he did something amazing. As long as his hands were up, they were winning. He could have used this to get their attention, allegiance, and adoration. He could have let them think that he did this great and mighty thing. He could have let them build an altar to him like most men do when God uses them. But he didn't. He gave God the credit. He built an altar to him and named it Jehovah Nisi so that all would know that it was God who had won this fight, who had protected and saved them, that they were all soldiers under God and not under Moses. God was the deliverer and banner, not him. He held that rod up, which represents God's authority. And as long as God's authority was lifted up in the sight of men, 
he fought for them. When it was lowered, where they might start to think that a continued win would have come by their own strength, authority, skill, talent, or wisdom, he stopped fighting for them and they started losing. You will see this in ministry. As long as you are upholding God's authority, you are telling the people that this is God that's doing these mighty works and winning these mighty victories. When you're giving the glory to God and giving that testimony and making sure that all men know that only he can deliver, he's going to keep fighting and winning those fights. But as soon as you let it look for a minute, like it might be you doing it or your own authority or your own ability or skill, he's taking his hands off of it. He's backing out. He's not going to fight for you. And you'll start losing. Declaring God as Nisi is giving him the glory for the victory and having faith in his promise to fight against that which comes to attack your advancements towards promise and the fulfillment of your purposes in the earth that will bring him glory. Keep praying, keep praising, keep fighting, keep working in unity with the body. Keep upholding God's authority above that of your own in the sight of men and he will win against the Amalekites that ambush you on the way to your promise. No man wins a fight alone. You work as a community, and God brings the victory. Don't seek or trust in tools. Trust in the rod of God's authority. Give him the glory in the sight of men, and he will fight for you and win. He will be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner and my victory. Psalms chapter 20, verse 7 is one you might want to highlight in your scripture. It's just a one verse. You don't have to even turn there if you don't want, but go ahead and pull it up real quick. I like it. We might want to highlight it. Psalms 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You need to learn this. This is going to be a short lesson tonight. I'm actually almost finished. There's not a whole lot to it. It's really more of a word, I think, than a message, but you need to get it in your spirit because the spirit of the Malachites are still trying to wipe out God's people and their purposes today. If there is a besetting sin in your life that is hindering you from advancing into God's purposes, then God promises victory over it. It's part of who he is, Jehovah Nissi. He has given his word in his very character. There is total victory. Pray, call on him, praise in faith, and fight. Set your eyes in faith on God's authority and resist the enemy until he flees. But don't try to do it in your own strength or you'll start losing. Pray, praise, believe in his authority. And once he's given you the victory, don't take credit for what God did. Pride comes before a fall. We've seen this happen over and over again. We could all tell stories of those that we've seen God do mighty, miraculous miracles in their life of deliverance and, and getting them off the streets and out of drugs and jobs and degrees and homes and all of these things. And as long as they were giving God the credit and the glory, things were going forward. But the moment they started saying, I did this, I did that. I got myself off of this, off of that. I, they fail. They're right back to where they were. God stopped fighting for them. It's serious. So lastly, don't play with it. God said he wants to wipe out completely the Amalekite. It's a dangerous enemy. Don't try to keep little 
bits and pieces of it. Because as I come to the close, I want to trace its bloodline a little bit. You'll remember a little later in history the story of Saul, the descendants. It was the Amalekite that he was commanded to go and what? Wipe out completely. God was still fulfilling this word and promise. That's why the command was given. Don't play with it. This is a dangerous enemy. It comes to stop the purposes of God. Wipe out the Amalekite. Saul was told to take out all of the Amalekite, but he didn't. He compromised with it for what he thought he could get out of it. And it was the Amalekite that eventually took him out in the end. When you compromise with sin, sin will eventually win. If it doesn't go, it will grow until it overtakes you and your territory will be lost. Saul thought he could control it. Saul thought he could handle it. Saul thought, oh, most of it's wiped out. It's just this little thing. It's just this little bit. I'm going to get something out of it. But in the end, it killed him. And that's what people do with sin. It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. It's just a little something. I'm just going to, I've gotten rid of all the big stuff and it's just this little thing left. I've got control of it. It's going to grow till it overtakes you when you least expect it. Saul let the king and the queen live. It was a descendant of that king and queen years later that you'll recognize named Haman, who was the antagonist of the story of Esther, who tried to wipe the Israelites out again. God knows what he's doing. When God says to do something, it might not make sense to you, but it's because he knows the end from the beginning. Haman tried to wipe out God's people and their purposes. But Esther, like Moses, interceded while the people fought and God prevailed against him. You'll notice that most time in scriptures when you trace it down, and I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but a lot of times in scripture when you trace it down, when God used a woman to bring a mighty victory, it was usually to bring shame to the man that was supposed to do it in the first place. Saul should have defeated this enemy, but eventually God used Esther to do it. There was a woman, I forget her name, in the story of Deborah where God called the general to go out and kill the, uh, the enemy, and, and he refused to do it, so God used the woman with the, the tent pig. Jael, something like that. Yeah, the woman with the tent pig to do it. And God said, it would be a shame to you. I'm going to bring this victory through a woman. God will use women, and that's not to say he doesn't call them. For, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus always used women first, and I think the point was um, that he was proving the prophecy of Joel where he says that in the last days I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and on your handmaidens and your servants. So... Danny preached the sermon about Anna. She was the first one to preach the Messiah. Jesus went to the woman at the well. She was the first one he told that he was the Messiah. She went and preached to the men and brought him in. He appeared first to Mary and Martha at the tomb. They went and preached the resurrection. He always appeared to the women first. And I think that was his way of proving that that time had come. The prophecy had come when the spirit was going to be available to all flesh, including the women. But a lot of times in the Old Testament, God did use women then too, but you'll see a lot of times it was because somebody didn't do their job. They didn't step up. And this was one of those times, thank God for Esther. She was born for such a time as this, not to take anything away from Esther, but Esther would not have had to do what she did if Saul would have done what he was supposed to do. Esther remembered God's promise to fight against this enemy. 
I think that interesting now that I trace the bloodline and realize who he is, that God had actually promised to be victorious and to defeat this enemy. So if Esther knew that, that should have given her even more faith for the fight. She prayed and God brought the victory. If Saul had done what he should have, Esther would never have had to do what she did. God raised her up to finish what Saul started but had left uncompleted. So deal with the Amalekite in your life. No compromise with the enemy. No matter how small or under control it might seem, it will either go or it will grow. God, Jehovah Nisi, is total victory, but he fights a complete fight. He wipes it out entirely. If you are willing to obey him completely like Moses and not hold on to a little bit of it for perceived benefit like Saul did, he will bring you complete deliverance. So lastly, Jehovah Nisi loves us enough to be a banner of total victory over us, but we have to choose to stand under it. This is another reason that we might not be seeing victories because God will win, but are you standing with him? You know, we like to pray, God, come and be with me. Lord, come stand with me. Lord, be with me. How about you go and stand with him? We all want God to be on our side, but if you seek the Lord for his will and his purposes and get in alignment with him, then you're assured victory because he will win. You're not assured that he's always going to align with your purposes, but if you align with his, you will always see victory. What did James say? You ask and don't have because you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lusts. The reason you're not getting victory here is because you want it for yourself, for your own purposes. Seek God for his purposes. If we walk over to the Amalekite side and yoke up with them, then God's promise of victory still stands, but it's you that he will be fighting against because you are no longer under his banner, you're under theirs. James chapter 4 verse 1 tells us this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust that war after your members? Right? Disunity. This is a perfect picture. This passage that we're going to read right now, it's a perfect picture of the opposite of what happened. In the battle with Moses and Joshua and Jehovah Nisi. He says, There's wars among you. James was talking to a church. He said, There's fightings among you. There's disunity in your members, right? In the situation with Joshua and Moses, they worked together in unity. In this situation, he's saying, You're in disunity. You're not working together. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have, but cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Right? They're not receiving the victories, and they're not seeking God for the win. They're not asking God. They're not praying. Moses was interceding. He was asking God for the victory. Everything in this passage is a flip. It's a negative of what happened in that battle. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. They wanted it to take credit for themselves, for their own purposes, their own use. Moses did not take credit. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy 
of God, they were under the wrong banner. They were on the Amalekite side. God won't fight for you. He'll fight against you. He will still have victory. He will win. What banner are you standing under when he does it? Me and Danny watched a video last night, a little YouTube video of this guy that had lost like, I don't know, almost 200 pounds. And it was just a quick little inspirational video. He started running and people started joining him and all this stuff. But at the end of the video, there was a little phrase that they had put and it kind of stood out and I thought it went along with the message, kind of a little confirmation to it. It said, if you knew success was a certainty, what would you attempt to do? Jehovah Nisi is a certainty. He is victory. That banner wins every time. Are you willing to walk away from the enemy to join his camp? Are you willing to work in unity with the community and stop trying to build your own kingdom? Are you willing to give him the credit and not try to get accolade and attention? Because that's all you have to really do. And victory will be assured to you. Jehovah Nisi, victory is a certainty. He does not lose. Call on him in the sight of men and give him glory for the win, both in praise during the battle and in the testimonies that come after. Isaiah 54 verse 17 tells us this, and this is our closing passage. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. He is my Jehovah Nisi. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder tonight. We thank you for this message. Lord, we thank you for this visual that you gave us. Lord, we know you were teaching a lesson to the Israelites in the wilderness, but the word says that these things were given for our example and admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. So we thank you, Lord, that we can see it and apply it and see all the times in our lives when the victories came, how everything was in line with it. And we can see the times when it didn't, how we got off track from it. So help us to get this in our spirit because the spirit of the Amalekite still does attack and try to prevent your purposes and promises in our life, but you have assured the victory and I have seen it, Lord, time and time again throughout my life and my parents' life and my grandfather's life, Lord, and many generations of ministry. You have always fought against that which came to fight against your servants, your chosen, your purposes. They have not once prevailed. So, Lord, help us to come to you, to not try to fight these things in the flesh, to not try to take credit, to not try to figure it out, but to cry to you, Lord, and help us to remember to be that man on the mountain for other people in their fight, to be the ones willing to help hold somebody else's arms up when they get tired, to help to be an encouragement and a strength and a support to other members of the body. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to understand, and wisdom to apply this message. Now and in the coming seasons, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.